1: was amazing music, was it not? Everything changes. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. That's been the focus of the May Sermon series. I have so enjoyed listening to Chad, David, and Jordan, Joe, and Adana. They've shared their personal stories of transition, transitions in the important things in life school, career, relationships, embedded in their stories were thoughtful reflections, reflections about how to, uh, the, the, the deep impacts of change, how to not just survive transitions but maybe thrive, <clears throat> and then the thought that often amazing growth follows a major change. We crave stability. We seek permanence. Yet their stories remind us that our reality is really defined best in change. Today is the last of the transitional uh, sermon series. So if you didn't like the series, it's going to change. So you have that going for you. What do you do when the transition, the change you are experiencing is not a life milestone, but it's spiritual in nature. I'm talking about something very fundamental, a belief that you have held with crystal clarity that starts to feel maybe a little cloudy, a new insight that seems to be in direct conflict with a well-established, long-held belief. Has that happened to you? These are rarely sudden transitions. Most people don't wake up one morning and say, I just don't believe any of this anymore. For me, it was a much slower process, starting with a nagging sense that something may not be quite right. Our text for today is found in Hebrews 13.8. Now, Hebrews uh, contains some of the most important themes of all of Christianity. The superiority of Jesus Christ, his perfect and complete sacrifice as the guarantee of salvation. The fact that we have a mediator in Jesus and that our journey is made possible through faith. After unpacking these important themes, Paul reminds the re- the readers of a, key- a few key items. Almost like he's on his way out the door and he says, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, just remember this. And he gives a list of things in chapter 13. Mid-list is our text for today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He goes on to say, Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Now, I take great comfort in knowing that we serve an unchanging God. What does that actually mean, though? What aspect of God is unchanging? Unchanging. We're going to come back to that in a minute. First, let's explore our 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 first question: What do you do when the transitions you're experiencing are spiritual? Now, understanding a change in your beliefs starts by knowing where your beliefs came from originally. My beliefs were imprinted in what I can only describe as an immersive Adventist upbringing. Now, this is where I need the disclaimer. I'm going to share with you my experience. I realize it's not your experience. Also, do you remember when uh, news stations would run their editorials at the end, and they'd always say, this is not the opinion of the station. (laughs) This may not be the opinion of the organization or anyone else. I'm sharing with you my personal experience. Your results may vary, and this may cause drowsiness. If we're just going to put all the disclaimers in. My parents joined the church in 1966. I was two years old. And unlike my two oldest sisters, I only grew up within the culture of Adventism and in an Adventist community. Now, when I say community, we joke that we grew up on a compound. Now, I don't mean a Waco-style compound, but we were surrounded only by Adventists, and we were on a separate tract of land and we did kind of live outside of town. On our, on our compound was a 500-member Adventist church. We attended every week. I joined by baptism in the fifth grade. There was our 10-grade school, of which I attended every one of those grades, only once per grade. <laughs> The school, of course, included uh, the journey from adventurers through pathfinders. I still remember, Ken, how excited I was when the conference officials came to give us our new earned buttons and pins and our scarves. Matter of fact, Janice and I were just doing some house cleaning. I just found mine the other day. I still have them. I almost wore them today, but I thought, too much, too much. There was a small Adventist hospital in our compound that provided the employment for my mother for many years, for my father near the end of his career, provided me my first real job. The highlight of the summer was always a week at our Adventist summer camp, and finally I waited with great anticipation for the annual Heritage Singer concert that would come to our church. Matter of fact, if you looked on my phone, you might find some Heritage Singer albums still there. To this day... All of my childhood friends, many who I still stay close with, came from that place, and it all happened just outside my front door, and you know what? I loved it. I loved it. Now, I did branch out. At the age of 16, I left. I went to boarding school, really a different compound, just three hours away, a, a fully Another fully immersive Adventist experience, followed by five more years of Adventist college. Now, five years, four years at college, a gap year in the middle where I went as a student missionary with other Adventist uh, college students to work alongside other Adventists in the country of Korea in our, la- in our Adventist language schools. Two weeks after our, my college graduation, uh, Janice and I were married. Uh, back at that same home church... And we moved to Washington, D.C., where she started with her job at the General Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do you get it? Total, singular, immersive. I kind of think I was basically raised like the Amish, just with a better haircut. (laughs) My belief system was imprinted in that culture. I was raised to be a confident Adventist. The primacy of Adventism was understood. The Bible the writings of Ellen White, the fundamental beliefs provided our theological clarity. The end times were charted and well understood. The world was not to be trusted. The end was near. And in a real sense, you needed to be ready to flee should the time of trouble actually break out. Revelation fourteen twelve, the three angels message was the cornerstone. Here is the call for the preservation of the saints who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. We were those saints. That was us, the persevering saints, those commandment keepers. There was a clear anti-Catholic message, and this was paired with other warnings about being too ecumenical. This basically resulted in us kind of staying to ourselves. From the pulpit, I was told that only Adventists would be saved, and this did seem to bother people. This This wasn't received with joy. The thought that all of the other world religions, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, lost... Actually, from where I sat, uh, even though we were Adventists, it seemed to me that it was difficult to be saved and easy to be lost. And our art didn't help, by the way. And do you recall the photos of the narrow land bridge, just one person wide, single file line going to heaven? The artist for effect sometimes would add someone falling off. Joining the church at that time did require the renouncing of all sin prior to baptism. Out of an abundance of caution, abundance of caution for a person's eternal life, our pastor explained to us that he couldn't baptize a person who was actively sinning, thus just condemning them to hell because they would be under the law. I know this is true because it happened to my best friend's father. He just couldn't quit smoking, and if you couldn't quit smoking, you can't be baptized. This is where the first crack emerged. I can still remember, and I don't want you to get the thought I was some deep theological thinking kid, but I still remember talking to my friend, and I remember this conversation. And we said, Well, okay, he can't be Adventist, but maybe God can figure it out a different way. Our worship practices were crisp. Sabbath started at the specific minute. This, we knew because the sundown calendar was on the fridge. Suits and ties were a must. Thank you, Ken Bradley. Not casual, never jeans. God's music was in a hymnal. hymnal yes to organs, yes to pianos, guitars, acoustic drums, a solid no. A proper sermon took 45 minutes, by the way. The roles were clear. Men and women understood their assigned work. If you were a blue-collar family like mine, your dad was probably a deacon. If you were white-collar, your dad was probably an elder. Communion was not a leave early Sabbath, and there was none of this family communion room. Men down one hall, women down the other. Observance, the observant lifestyle was paramount. Diet was doctrinal. Coffee, jewelry, movie going had no place in this lifestyle. and actually were early indications of trouble. Sabbath observance was elevated to an art form. This was my experience. There was just such a clear understanding of what it meant to be a good Adventist, and there was pride in being a peculiar people. I don't say any of this with Maki. I love how I grew up. I love the culture and the church from which I come. So where does the transition begin? First, for me, there's never been a total or even partial collapse of my beliefs. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it. You have friends that over time have just decided to walk away because reconciling the past with the present and just all the, it's just easier to walk away. That's not what I'm talking about. Second, there's also a natural updating of beliefs as you age. I'm not really talking about that either. As you move fully into adult life, you begin to take in more information. You gain new perspectives. Simple explanations don't quite hold up as well. The real complexities of our experience start to challenge some of the smooth narratives and the simple conclusions. As you reread all of the stories to your children, you begin to appreciate the deep challenges and complexities and conflicts. And as a father, you realize, maybe I don't start with the story of Esther. It's not quite the sweet story we think. Simply said, the hard transition for me when I came to realize that my spiritual confidence was misplaced. This was not a Damascus Road experience for me, but a slow realization that the confidence I was experiencing didn't seem to fit with the emerging truth around me. I had not lost confidence in God. I, but after being raised in a system that had perfectly packaged the answers and had the charts to prove it, I came to realize that my ability to draw conclusions about what, how God should run things is not something to have confidence in. I was simply drawing too sharp a conclusions based on too limited of information. Let's go back to Hebrews. What does it really mean? What is the consistency that is promised in yesterday, today, and tomorrow? There are two ways to understand this. Don't you love people who just put things into two categories, like there's only two ways? But for today, there's two ways. Tammy only gave me 20 minutes two ways. That's all we get. There is God as referee. There are clear rules. You know the rules. You call the fouls. You declare the winner. Not a negative message, it's more about order, justice, and earned rewards. And actually, if you grow up in a structured community, you actually like this model because you think you have the right answer, so you don't mind the fact that they're going to call the question. The other way is relational God, or a God of relationships. The consistency is not seen in the rules, but is seen in an unwavering devotion to pursue a relationship over anything else. Relationship over rules? A commitment that supersedes everything? Not allowing anything to stand in the way. Not letting gender, race, culture, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religious tradition, religious ceremony, or even the rules that God himself put into place. Not letting those stand in the way. I had a hard time reconciling with that. While we do serve a God of order, he will violate his own order to pursue a relationship. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Hosea. How can I give you up? How can I let you go? I will not turn my back on my children. Have you read? If a group needed their back, a referee would have turned their back on those children. I first heard that sermon 35 years ago from Graham Maxwell, famous Adventist pastor. And the crack got a little wider. Because if that was true, then... What are the implications of the fact that we serve a God that will violate his own rules to maintain a relationship? This relationship pattern, as I started to read more, started in the Garden of Eden. It's at the heart of our origin story. It just depends on how you read the story. A referee's perspective of the creation story, here's two things. Creation details, six days, and consequences for behavior, you're out of the garden. The relational perspective sees something additional. Yes, the expectations were clear. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Stay away from it. Any parents recognize those uh, familiar commands? And guess what? They touched it. They ate it. They didn't stay away from it. Adam and Eve suffered the consequences. They got sent out of the garden. The power of the story, though, is that God went with them. He followed him out of the garden, his own creation, his own rules, his own structure. He said, we're going to leave that behind. Oh, you're going, but I'm going with you. This is how the story goes all the way down through human history. God works to connect. God comes close by. We disappoint. He tries again. If you come from a background where your confidence is rooted in knowing how things should go, these stories of patience, long-suffering, and chance after chance actually are a source of stress. Noah makes a lot of sense to me. You get 120 years, I'm going to preach this, get on the boat, get off the boat, doesn't matter, we're moving. The prodigal son didn't. He gets to come back in. The Bible is clear, God doesn't really need our help. For he reminds us it is God that for so loved the world. He reminds us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He forgives at a much higher rate than we would ever think. Maybe the sharpest example is in Acts 10, 16. You know the the vision Peter's having where all these unclean things are in, in the sky. And God says, I want you to eat those things. Now, as a kid, this triggered great crisis because we needed to be told very quickly, this doesn't mean you can go eat bacon. No, there was a much deeper truth there. What Peter needed to understand was something much, much deeper. God was telling Peter that God shows no partiality among mankind. God loves people from every nation, every tongue, every background. He shows no preference, partiality, but loves all equally and desires a relationship with all. And by the way, it's not your job to determine who is clean and unclean. So what changed for me in that world? five things i had to accept that god is a god of relationship not rules i had to accept that god has a bigger vision a better approach and a much more positive view of humanity than i'm ever going to have salvation is not a narrow difficult path it's not a single file line it's open and it's free i had to come to the terms and maybe this was the hardest that god does not have a favorite denomination or group he is seeking willing hearts wherever they may be and finally it was something andy shared with us in his last sermon one of his four things while we participate in communities and we belong to churches our confidence solely belongs in the faith of jesus so like joe told us a couple of weeks ago implications of change are difficult we have to do something with them we have to apply them So what does that look for me? How have I worked my way out of the Peter position where I think I'm the one who should be deciding what's clean and unclean? It's caused three implications for me. One, it starts by denying self. The power of self is not to be underestimated. And I'm not talking about sinful, fallen self. I'm talking about Lucifer, Adam, and Eve, unfallen self, still, fell. So what chance do I have? Faith? Not work is the only answer. The application to my theology, I just have to accept that there will never be a complete understanding on earth. As Adventists, we should understand this. From day one, since 1844, we have constantly been adjusting our theology. And I don't say that critically. There's just new things to learn. Despite biblical counsel to the contrary, our our founders tried to know the time and place of Christ's return. And that started us on a certain journey that continues to have us look for new truth. In 1888, triggered by the crisis at the General Conference, our church didn't really embrace the faith of Jesus aspect of the three angels' message. They were so law-focused. Ellen White commented, let the law take care of itself. We have been at this work on the law until we are as dry as the hills of Gilboa. Let us trust the merits of Jesus. Most denominations, as we think about our theology, also have one other struggle, especially in our historical context in this country, and that is the, the, the struggle, active, struggling to activate the scriptural calls for justice, equity, and inclusion. There are so many learnings. In George Knight's book, A Brief History of Adventism, he recalls the struggle and mistakes of the first half of the 1900s regarding the mistreatment of black Adventists in Washington, D.C., Discrimination and segregation were a part of our institutions, our elementary schools, all the way up to the conference, general conference cafeteria. This reached a breaking point when a patient at the Adventist hospital in Washington, Lucy Byard, was forced to be transferred once her racial identity was discovered. Due to the severity of her illness, she did not survive the transfer. Tragically, our denomination did not see her as a child of God. The application for me is if I believe in a relational God, then who am I not seeing that God has already seen? Who am I excluding that God has already included? And finally, my community. I've told you I'm so grateful for how I was raised. The community I grew up in this church here for Janice and I for 20 years. Adventism for me is an on-ramp that has allowed me to become part of a broader Christian context, not an off-ramp to go live in a compound. It's an on ramp into something bigger. It has been a great place to be from, but I needed to learn it was not the destination. It is not God's waiting room. In the end, I want to be known as someone that Jesus knows. You know the text I'm talking about. I didn't know you. That's the most terrifying question. How am I someone that Jesus knows? Your your changes get impacted by people along the way. One of those was a Baptist preacher for me by the name of Ron Gunter. Ron told me on a mission trip we were on, he said, David, I don't know about our theological differences. I do know this, though. The closer you are to human needs, the more God makes sense. I want to be part of a community that is closer to human needs and puts our confidence in the faith of Jesus so we can go out into the world and show love to
0: all. Hi, this is Randy McGray podcast producer and host here at whole life church loving people into a lifelong friendship with god is our mission at the whole life church and our podcasts speaking of grace and its companion 15 with andy randy and jeff are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit now that you've heard the message for this week don't forget to check out the whole life takeaways for this message swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church You can find everything podcast related on our website wholelife.church slash podcast And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the whole life church inspiration you love straight into your headphones Thanks for listening and have a great week